Do you? There we are. Okay. We'll just assume that the people out there in, in the TV land could read my lips, because I'm not going to repeat all that, but uh, we are glad that all of our mothers are here, and uh, we are thankful for you. So we are uh, in Acts chapter 13 today as we look into God's Word. In last week, we were, not last week, we skipped a week, didn't we? By the way, I ought to clarify that just for a moment because uh, I don't want you all to think bad of me. But la- the last time I was with you, week previous, I said that Matthew and I were going to be here to worship with you last week, and we weren't. But I promised that that was my intent, okay? But when we dismissed, um, I had this plan, and, and all of it wasn't quite planned out, but in my, my head... I had visualized that uh, Julia and Connor would lead our music at the campsite and maybe Greg or somebody I was going to get was going to do the message and then uh, Matthew and I were going to come back here and worship with you guys. Um, And so when I was leaving that morning, I asked Connor and Julia if they would do the music for, and and Connor was like, well, I have a responsibility here at church and we were just planning on coming. I was like, Oh, okay, God, what was it that you were wanting to do? Um, So anyway, it turned out, just in that conversation uh, alone with Connor, that he thought he needed to talk to Julia because she wasn't here uh, that Sunday. She was visiting family. But uh, he thought that they could do music, and he's like, and I think I could preach. I'm like, that is awesome. You know, and so anyway, that's how that all worked out. So I knew God was up to something, which we'll get into here in just a minute. In Acts chapter 13, I knew God was up to something. I just didn't know the details, right? Uh, but uh, so, so that that was my fault to speak a little premature of wanting to know what all the plans were. But, but that's what happened there. So anyway, the last time we were talking, we started this new journey, and that is uh, just uh, kind of a road trip with Paul. We're going to walk through, you know, his missionary journeys and uh, just take a trip with him as we kind of just been talking about path. Uh, Lori actually kind of come up with this idea. I love it. And so that's where we are. Uh, last week, we were just getting introduced, or two weeks ago, we were just getting introduced to uh, Paul and just his conversion experience. And we come out with these three di- different uh, takeaways, and that is that good intentions aren't good enough, right? Uh, y- y- you, you aren't saved just because you have good intentions. You're saved because you are connected with Jesus Christ. Paul had good intentions and in that he thought he was serving God by killing Christians <laughs> uh, because he thought that, you know, that's not what God wanted him. And uh, left in that state, Paul would have went to eternal damnation wondering what happened. I thought I was serving God. So good intentions aren't good enough. That's one of the things we learned about that. Um, and the other thing is, is that God can save whomever he wants. We don't determine that or get to say that, so we have to be careful about that because God saves some pretty rotten people. But, but praise God that he does because I'm right in that list somewhere. I don't know where. Uh, but, uh, and so, but God gets to save who he wants, so we have to be careful about um, you know, uh, wanting something different than what God wants. Okay, and the other thing is that we kind of our takeaway is that is when God saves us, he owns us. And that's the same way with Paul. When God saved him, he had a specific purpose for his life and why he and something he saved him for. And he was owned. And so Paul began to, he understood this right from the beginning. That's why he was constantly saying, you know, it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Uh, you know, there's nothing, nothing more than he wants than to just uh, do what God wants. And so this zeal just drove him. And he you know, lived through floggings and beatings and imprisonments and without food and shipwrecks. And the list is going on and on. And the reason that he did is because he did not belong to himself anymore. He didn't go look for a new occupation. His occupation was whatever God wants me to do, and he stuck with it because God owns him. And the Bible says the same thing about us, and that's kind of where we left it. And that is that uh, don't you know that you were bought with a price? Jesus paid our ransom, but he purchased us. And now we belong to him. And we don't live our lives, you know, for our own desires, hopefully anyway, because we would be getting it wrong. We live our lives for his desires and for his 
you know, agenda. So that's kind of where we are. Um, and so now we're going to go to Acts chapter 13. I'm going to read through 12, but we are actually going to chew on and focus on the first four verses of uh, this passage. But I thought I would go ahead and just read, uh, you know, the whole section just so we have kind of a feel of what's going on here. Now there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Cilicia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Patpas, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius uh, Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Litimus, the, the magician, who is, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and valinity. What is that word? (laughs) Yes, that's it. Okay. Uh, You will not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for, for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when they saw that what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So, in this passage of Scripture, what we have is the calling of Paul and Saul. And I think that the most practical thing, at least what we're going to deal with this morning and, and some practical help here, is what, you know, is like a problem that a lot of us, you know, uh, struggle with or wonder about that I think can help us. And that is this, this right here, how to recognize the guidance of God. Sometimes it is very difficult to us, for us to know. How do we recognize that God is guiding us and directing us and and changing our path, or, or moving us in a certain direction. How to know the direction of our life? How do we even know where he wants us to go? And to find the will of the Holy Spirit in all these matters. I think, I think this passage of Scripture helps us with these things. Now, the 13th chapter, which we are in, is kind of a turning point of the book of Acts. It is like something is... Uh, is major happening here in this shift that has taken place. And, and one of the things that uh, it points out to us is like in Acts chapter 1, we looked at this, I think, the last time, but in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, it says this. This is like Jesus' farewell comments before he goes into heaven to, you know, his followers. But he says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord... Will you at this time restore the kingdom of heaven? So he just came back from the dead, and he's with them, and they're trying to figure out what's the next thing going to happen. And and they're still in this mindset that he came to restore something here on this earth. And and we know that that's not so, but it's still hard for them to let go of this. And so their thinking is, is now we have a resurrected Jesus. We thought he was powerful back when he was of the flesh, and now look what he can do and accomplish. He is going to set things straight, right? And so that's what they're thinking. So, so will at this time will you restore the kingdom of Israel? And this is what Jesus says. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed uh, by his own authority. And basically what he's saying it is, it's not your business to know what's Next, but let me share with you what is your business and what I am going to have you do. 
this is going to be your task. This is what I want you to focus on. Not focus on things that, that is not for you to focus on. Okay? This is what he has them focus on. So verse 8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So, very pivotal point, our pivotal time here in Acts chapter 13. What's going on? Well, this is what's going on. The third part of this is starting to be fulfilled. You see, the first part was they were supposed to wait on the Holy Spirit when they were in Jerusalem, and we know that they waited upon the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon them in like a fire, and they began to be able to, when they preached, they were preaching in all kinds of different languages. I mean, at least that's what the people that were there to hear heard in their own language. And this miraculous beginning of what God was wanting them to do was starting. And so they preached in Jerusalem, and then they went out to Samaria and and uh, Judea, and they were preaching, and now guess what is fixing to happen? Now it's going to be taken out to the uttermost parts of the earth. And God chose Paul to do this. And he chose Barnabas to do this. I'm going to share where God did that in just a moment here, but I want to also just make known that this is also pivotal in the sense that it is the beginning of Paul's apostleship. Now, Paul was called by Jesus himself on that road that we discussed last time. And and, and he called him to be an apostle, but he had not yet practiced his apostleship. He was just waiting for God to kickstart this thing, for the Holy Spirit to say, okay, Paul, pack your bags, it's time to go. And we know that in Acts chapter 9, that he's waiting for what? Let's just look at that for real quick. And it is Acts chapter 9, verse 14, it says, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go for... He is, now this is the instruction that God gave to Ananias, who was supposed to go and speak to Paul, uh, heal Paul, and baptize Paul into Jesus, okay? And he was hesitant, remember? He was hesitant to do this, because he was like, that's a bad man. Shouldn't he just be, you know, rejected? Why would you want him to be part of your, your following? And so this is what God tells Ananias. Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. God called him to go to the Gentiles, to the kings, to the children of Israel. He had a mission from the get-go. I wonder, did Ananias share that with Paul? I wonder, did Paul already know that? But regardless, what we do know is that Paul is here waiting for this to get going. Acts chapter 13 is very pivotal. Here's something that I found, and I either have forgotten this since college, or I just didn't know this. How long has Paul been waiting for this thing to get kick-started? A week or two? A month or two? 11 to 12 years. That's a long time to just be waiting and wondering, didn't he save me for something? Now, is Paul a sitter-arounder type of person? No, he is, he is con- cla- characterized by himself and by people around him. He is a go-getter. He is not somebody that sits around idle. He can't do that. And so can you imagine what this was like for him, just biting at the bit and wondering, why is, why is it not time? People that are like that, what do they normally do? They do. They just do. They don't wait for permission. They don't wait for the green light. They just do because they have to do. And so it's, it's, I think it's really important for us to know that fact right there. When I, when I realized that and learned that, I was just like, light bulbs are coming on. Like, that's amazing, right? And so that's when I realized that this is, there's something really special here 
to teach us about hearing from God and waiting upon God and being directed by God. So here's some things. I think the most important thing for us to learn in this little section of 1 through 4 is about, and about how to be guided by the Holy Spirit of God is, is what I'm going to share with you. The first thing that I think to learn from this is that guidance, if you want to be guided by God and by His Spirit and not guided by your own doing, your own thinking, then you have to seek guidance from God and from His Holy Spirit. The only thing that was keeping Paul back was what? God. The Holy Spirit to communicate to him. Because it's not his nature to hold back. He would have been busy doing what God called him to do the moment he got eyesight and was baptized into Jesus Christ. He would have been like, I'm out of here, I'm going, where do I go, right? He would have been willing and and eager to do that, but he didn't. He had to wait for God to communicate that. And so this man has been patiently waiting for 11 to 12 years. And the very first thing I think that we need to understand in our own lives is that we have to seek God's guidance. And when we seek it, that means that we have to be patient. We have to wait at times. And so I think that that's part of it. I think often... Often we pick our own path. That's just the reality of it, right? We're picking our own path. We're doing our own thing. We never spend much time even asking the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what is it you want me to do? What do you want me to do with my life? Where do you want me to go? By the way, this is, this is high school. I'm not high school. This is graduation recognition. And we have a couple graduates we're going to recognize uh, today. But... You know, that is, I can remember back in my high school days, like especially, I didn't think about it at all until like my junior year, and then all of a sudden I was like, oh my, grades kind of matter. I should have been thinking about this earlier. But then you start thinking in a panic, at least that was me, what am I going to do with this life? You know, like, and then I can remember looking up things, and I really, that's when I came up with the idea, it was, it was a terrible idea. It didn't come about, but I thought, I'm going to be grizzly man. I'm going to the mountains, living off the land. That would just be ideal. No pressure from a boss, you know. No, no having to live up to any expectations. And so I was just thinking, that just sounds really good to me. And so I got on a map out and started mapping out Colorado. Where are some places that I could go? And Anyway, then reality hit. I don't know. That was probably my senior year, week from graduation. I don't know. (laughs) But uh, then I really had to start thinking through this, right? And I think sometimes that's just our mentality is we don't really seek. I never ask God, like, God, what do you want me to do with this life? And I think that that's something that we, we falter at. But it's, if we do, then we always are wandering around. We become wanderers, just trying to find something that really truly satisfies. Oh, I have this and have that. It seems like everybody says that I have you know, success, but why do I still feel like I'm missing out on something? Well, people that choose their own path are become just nomad wanderers. But with people who are seeking the Holy Spirit, he gives them a direction and things that just matter, that have eternal consequences. And when you start living for things that have eternal consequences and and you're building on a kingdom that is to last for all eternity, there's just nothing that feels better than feeling satisfied with how you're spending your life. But if you want to be a person to spend your life on things that really truly matter then you have to seek the one who guides you. And that is the Holy Spirit. And sometimes waiting upon him to respond can be grueling. I've been praying, God, give me direction, give me something for the last five years, and I've got nothing so far. I know he wants me to do something. I know he wants me to use me in something. 
here's what I think, and that is that the Lord wants us to wait, not in discouragement, but in expectation. I think that's how he wants us to wait. I think he has Paul right where he wants Paul. I don't know why he had him in the incubator type thing for 11 to 12 years, but he had Paul right where he wanted Paul for a period of time. Maybe it wasn't so much to prepare Paul, but maybe it was. Maybe it was to prepare the people that Paul was going to. I don't know. Maybe it was both. You know, God has this amazing way of orchestrating everything perfectly. But someday, if we want to ask him, he will be, he'll be glad to tell us. And I, I kind of think that it's going to end up being as like, well, that was the best thing for Paul, and that was the best thing for this. You know, for these people who are going to encounter Paul, I don't know. Here's what I know, though, and that is James chapter 5, verse 7. It says, be patient, then brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. And to be honest, sometimes waiting on the Lord is like watching grass grow. So that makes sense that he's bringing up a farmer, right? It's like, I know it's going to come, but oh my, I didn't see any progress this week. It's not even poking out of the dirt yet. You know, God is working in our lives if we want him to work in our lives. And he's working for his best interests. But he has, while he's working for his best interests, he has our best interests at heart. Like we can trust him when we can believe that he is good. And here in this verse, you know, in James 7, we just see this farmer that is waiting patiently. That word patiently, what I have learned, is that it means long-suffering. And that's sometimes what waiting feels like, that suffering is long in the midst of this. But if we just wait, then things just fall into place. And I have no doubt that there are some things that we are waiting for the Lord to move. You know, in my life, around my life, for my life, whatever it would be. And if we really want this to work out well, then we are going to wait patiently and we're going to seek his guidance. Like, I, I, I want to go, but I refuse to go until he gives me the go-ahead. I need the green light. And that's what Paul was waiting for. There's a verse in Hebrews eleven ten that says this. It says, For he who... He, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And what that's talking about is Abraham. And what was Abraham looking for? He was looking for an architect and building that was God. Abraham was waiting patiently for God to establish something good. That word waiting means anticipation, expectation. That's how Abraham was waiting. And so when we're waiting, it's just important for us to wait with expectation and anticipation. And that's the kind of waiting that Paul was doing. And here's why I know that, because of what the next thing that this goes to. So if you want guidance from the Holy Spirit, then that means that you have to seek guidance from the Holy Spirit. And it means that you be patient, wait for him to move, and he will move. But here's the reason I know that Paul was waiting, you know, with expectation. That is the second thing. Those who stay busy are the easiest to move. They're the easiest to guide. If you want the Holy Spirit to guide you, then you've got to stay busy doing his work where you are. It may not be the work that he has planned for you, like ultimately what he wants you to accomplish and do and and you're being patient but the thing that is really important for us is that we don't just wait idly doing nothing now paul couldn't do that anyway we know that 11 12 years paul do nothing he was doing something he just wasn't doing what he wanted to do that's what the tough thing about this but we know that he wouldn't be seeking the guidance of God and waiting patiently 
just doing nothing. And so he was busy in the church, working in the church. He just knows that that's not what I was called to do, is to sit around this church and do this when I was supposed to be out there creating churches and planting churches. So the takeaway is just if you want the guidance of God, you've got to be moving. It is easier for God to move, a, to direct a moving object. Like, like, for instance, let me ask you this. So let's just pretend that you are a huge ship. And you're steered by this little rudder called the Holy Spirit. Which is easier, if we're talking about a ship for a moment... Which is easier for that rudder to turn? A, a ship that is just setting in harbor, not even moving, or a ship that is out in the waters moving along? You see, a moving ship is easy for a rudder to turn, isn't it? But a, a rudder can't turn a ship, even if it's sitting there going like this. It can't turn a ship by itself when it's not moving anywhere. And I think that that is so important because that's, that's really kind of what Paul is trying to express and show to us. I want to give you a little bit of insight, though, before we get into that deeply. And that is who these people are. Because there's a list that we just were given, right? It says, now there was in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius, the Cyrene, Manian, uh, a lifelong friend of Herod, the architect, and Saul. So there's these people, these groups of people. Who are they? Well, first of all, some of them were prophets and some of them were teachers. Who was what? Well, some, one person that I read, and I can't verify this, but told me that there were three prophets, and that was Barnabas and Simeon and uh, uh, Lucius were the prophets. What's interesting also, though, is that we know they were all from, like, North Africa. Uh, Simeon, is, who is called Niger, like Nigeria, which is where that would have come from. Most uh, uh, scholars would have assumed that this was a black man. And probably even, you know, Lucia, Lucius uh, might have been too, but nobody knows for sure. And then we had, uh, by the way, before we move on to the next guys, this Simeon who is called Niger, most scholars think that this is the Simeon from Cyrene uh, that is mentioned in uh, Matthew chapter 27. Remember when Jesus is carrying his cross and he can't go any further and he just falls and the Roman soldiers uh, grabs the guy from the crowd to carry the cross for Jesus. Uh, we know it's Simeon of Cyrene uh, from uh, North Africa. This probably would have been him. At least that's what they think. I think that's kind of interesting to know. But then there's a couple teachers, and that's Manon and, uh, and Saul. Uh, here's another thing that I think is interesting and just want to make sure you know. And I did check this in the Greek. Not that I know Greek, but I have a Greek-English lexicon that just gives you the literal translations of those and so I was able to check this one out but but uh, this man in is a foster brother of Herod because that's what it literally says in the Greek text a foster brother of Herod now this isn't the Herod of when Jesus was born and killing all of the children and things of that sort this is the Herod of him uh, wanting to meet this Jesus in like Luke 23, I think it is. He's wanting to meet Jesus. He's curious and interested because he's heard about Jesus. I kind of think that uh, Manon has been reporting to his um, foster brother uh, about this Jesus. And it says in that verse there that he wanted to see one of Jesus' signs and miracles. But Jesus didn't give him one. He ended up sending him to Pilate, right? Uh, and then they ended up crucifying. But that's the Herod. So, just some interesting, important uh, information there. But if you want to be used by God, then you've got to be busy. 
Here's something interesting about what we were just talking about with these men. There would have been probably a black man, white, or white, I don't know, wouldn't be really white, there would have been teachers, there would have been prophets, there would have been a nobleman, which would have been the, the foster brother. There would have been uh, Saul, who would have come from just this amazing lineage of teaching. There would have been like uh, just a commoner, uh, you know, like Barnabas. But it was just like this array of people. What did they have in common? What has brought them together? They are seeking God to guide their way and direct them. And they're busy using their gifts. That's why it's important that the Bible speaks to us that they were prophets and teachers. They were busy within the church going ahead and using their gifts And so we have Saul as a teacher, but not yet as an apostle, not yet as a leader. He's not yet been given that go-ahead yet. And which is easier to move? You know, somebody that is sitting, idle, or somebody that is busy doing and it's easier for Paul to hear the word of God and to, to hear the Spirit speak to in his life as he is busy participating in the kingdom of God. 1 John chapter 2, verse 17, it says, And the world is passing away with long, all of its desires, but whoever does the will of, my, of, God, the will of God abides forever. You know, there are many young people, and I think we could also say even old people, but many young people I find today who are looking to, to guide, God to guide them. And they have in their head this, this thought that they have to, like, run up to a mountain somewhere, play Grizzly Adams for a year or two, and see if he will speak to them. You know, like, sit in their, their cross-legged and, and do whatever they do and meditate and, and hope that he will guide and direct them in this way. Like, there just has to be this separation Uh, that takes place, but I have not met, not that God can't do that, and not that God has not done that, but as I read through the Bible, and also just all of my experience in ministry, I have not seen God do that, hardly at all. Usually, he is moving people that are already moving. He's just redirecting them, and that's the way it is, you know, with Abraham. He just speaks to Abraham because he's, he's wanting God to speak to him. Remember, he's, he's, he's seeking guidance. And he just says, go to, the, go to the land I will show you. Pack up. And he didn't even know where he was going. But he's just a moving object, and God is steering him as he's going. God just wanted to kickstart somebody moving. And that's the kind of the way that you will see all the way through Scripture. And so what I would encourage is that we behave the same way. If we want God to move in our lives and speak in our lives and and be the one who guides our path, then let us go ahead and begin to use our gifts right where we are, and then we're ready to go. I don't know how God spoke. Did he speak audible to these people? You know, when he gave the green light, was it an audible thing where they all heard and they were all in the same room together? Did they all have a dream And they all came back, hey, you're not going to believe what I dreamed. I had the same dream. You know, I don't know. Here's what I kind of think, though, is what if he just spoke the way that he speaks today? And that is, you know, this church, so often we are saying these kinds of things, but where I have a desire and... You know, the elders have a desire, and as we share it, all of a sudden we know that other people are sharing this the same desire. Or we we are starting to voice things around a table or through a prayer uh, meeting or or whatever it be, and and we begin to just start thinking, does God want us to do this? And the next thing we know, yeah, I think that I was thinking the same thing. And we just have this, 
this one accord, this, this uh, agreement, this understanding, like we just all feel within ourselves that this is what we ought to do. And we could point out a whole bunch of these kinds of things, just like when we were very active in the DOC, when we went to Haiti and started a ministry there, when we, when we bought our van. I mean, when, I mean it's, it's crazy, but there's so many things that we could list. But all of those were from, because it wasn't just one person's thought, it was like God was putting this thought and, and this de- desire within a whole bunch of us, and we just realized, yeah, this is what God is speaking to us about. It could be that, right? I don't know how he spoke, but that's how he could have spoke. However, they, it was, they felt a deep enough desire to go forward with this. Paul, it's time you finally get to go pack your bags. Guidance begins when we just simply seek guidance. And guidance continues to have its way as we are already busy doing the Lord's will in our lives. We're already ministering to our neighbors. We're already ministering within the church. We're always doing this. And God guides. I'm going to put my dear brother on the spot, and I'll apologize later, but Connor, I'm going to have to bring you up here for a second. But Connor and I were having this conversation I was telling you about after church a couple weeks ago, and he just made some comments, you know, like he was showing up at places and nobody else was there, and He's just like, kind of, and I, I so relate to this. And just like, I don't even know why I'm here. You know, I just felt like God is, like, he wanted me here. And this is what I was doing and stuff like this. And so I was just like, I so relate to that because sometimes I don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I don't even feel sometimes like, is this even beneficial? Is this even going to accomplish anything? But I just feel like an inner pull to do something, and the next thing I know is through those inner, little inner things that I end up getting into something, which leads sometimes to something else. Sometimes that's just what it leads to, and that was the thing it was leading to, I think. But I don't think, Connor, that you just accidentally become one of our youth workers. You know, I could sure feel like you just stumbled into it, but it was just because you were willing to listen. And so I, I'm sorry I put you on the spot, but I just think that that's a good illustration for us here at the church that we can see. We've, we've seen this happen, you know, that, that these, these young people are taking this role. And, and God is guiding it. And there's some of you that are already in the process of moving through all that kind of craziness too. You're just, you don't really know where it's going to end you. But it will end you in something I guarantee that is super important, super satisfying, and super productive. Here's the last thing. And that is, there's a continuation, because what did they do? As they were seeking the Holy Spirit's guidance, and they were waiting, and they were using their gifts where they were, what else did they do? They were fasting and praying. Now, I'm not going to spend much time talking to you about prayer, and the only reason is is because I think that we understand that as a church. I think we've done it enough, we've seen it done enough, we talk about it enough. I think we understand what it means to spend a duration amount of time, a specific amount of time praying. It's where you're, it's where you're longing and talking to God about something super important to you day and night. It just seems like it's the last thoughts that you have When you lay your head at bed, it's the first thoughts that you have when you wake up in the morning. It's when you want to gather with other people and talk to God about these things. And it's a repeated prayer over a period of time. And these are the kinds of things that they were doing. They were meeting together and having this kind of a prayer thing going on. It wasn't a one-time, we're done, we'll see what happens. Oh, 12 years later, hey, it was finally answered. We wouldn't even have remembered that kind of prayer. This is a continuous prayer, but I'm not going to spend much time other than that because... I think we understand that. What I don't think we understand is fasting. I don't think we understand it because I don't think we do it. Not much, anyway. Not like prayer. 
but it is spoken so often in Scripture. Just Google it sometime or, you know, do your little search thing in your Bible app and just see how many times fasting comes up. And also, like, when it comes up. Most often, always, it comes up when a heart is desiring for God to communicate or to fill or to, to guide in some way. God, I just need, I need your presence. I need an encounter from you. And they spent time praying. What do we normally say when we need that? We say pray. I will pray for you. I, I will seek God for you. I just need to pray about this. Rarely do we say, I just need to fast about this. I need to fast and pray about this. We don't do that because we don't do that. What is fasting? Literally, it is just not eating is what it is. It's not doing without water. Most everybody that fasts always continue to drink. In fact, what we know is that you can do without food for a long time. You can't do without water for very long. About 48 hours is what I've read. What's interesting, too, is that this is a Bible thing, and yet you know who knows the least about fasting? is Bible people. You know who is surpassing Bible people about the knowledge of fasting? Science people. We are, this has become, and you will, if you haven't already run across this, you're going to run across this because it's becoming, it's just becoming prevalent in the science world. Just Google this. If you're interested, just Google this today and just see what pops up. It's not Bible scholars that are popping up. It is science people that are popping up. And it is data after data after data what they are discovering about fasting and how it does amazing things to our physical bodies. Here's some things that I have learned, okay? 24 hours into a fast, guess what goes away? Your hunger. I bet you didn't think that, because I think that one of the things that we're terrified about fasting is that I'm going to be so hungry. I can't imagine doing without, you know. And so we just can't even picture our self. And also, I think when Jesus says, which we'll come back to this in a minute, but when he says the Pharisees, they go out on the street corner because they've been fasting, and what do they look like? They look like they've been run over by a truck. I mean, that's what he says. They just look so miserable and everything, right? And so we're just thinking, hey, I know what it's like to go a couple hours without eating. I can't imagine going 24 hours plus without eating. I will be so miserable. But the reality is, is that if you'll, if you'll Google this and you just watch any and all of these people, they're all saying the same thing. And then maybe try it if you want to and just see if it doesn't uh, produce what they are saying that it produces. But at, at 24 hours, you lose your hunger. At 24 hours into not eating but just drinking, things start happening too. Like you begin to start feeling like I'm getting a little bit clearer in my thinking. And the reason is, is because by 48 hours into a fast, your body no longer is using all that sugar we put in our bodies for our brain, because our brain has to have glucose, right, to operate. But it begins to turn your fat into ketose, is what they call it, and that's what's feeding the brain. It's a different type of glucose. It's, your brain is just like, this is awesome. How come you haven't been feeding me this for, you know, ever? And, and it operates better. It gets rid of what they call uh, brain fog, and you begin to have just some clarity in you. So by 48 hours, there is this a clarity in you, no longer a hunger. There's an energy from 24, actually probably sooner than 24 hours, but at least 24 hours on, that you, your energy is like consistent. It's not like this right here. I don't know about you, but I know a thing about carbs, and I can tell you that's the kind of ride that you have when you're on carbs, right? It's just like up and down, up and down, up and down. And it's just this, I just always feel fatigued, we think. When you're fasting, 
you will feel something you haven't felt before because they say that you will just have this energy that is consistent. Now, at 48 hours, you also begin to, your body begins to heal in itself. It's getting rid of some damaged genes, or cells, not genes, some cells, maybe genes, I don't know. Cells. It's also at the beginning state of starting to create stem cells. By 72 hours, you are in a stem cell repair. 72 hours and crazy, amazing things are happening to your body. Why? Because you're not feeding it. That's what science tells you. I think that's interesting in the sense that what is it that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6? And I want to come back to something else real quick, but this is what he said. He says, verse 16, he says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, and their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, if, if it is a fact that by 24 hours you have an energy that is straight across, that you are beginning to uh, get rid of bad things in your body, you're feeding your brain with something that makes you more clear in thinking, do you think these people would have had to pretend that they're gloomy? Or do you think they really felt gloomy? They didn't feel gloomy. They had to pretend I think that's what drove Jesus crazy. is because they had to go out on the street corners. Oh, it's such a hard time. I'm like fasting for 72 hours, I think. I don't remember. I mean, they would have had to make this stuff up. And everybody would be like, I'm not doing that. There's no way I'm doing that. And so what Jesus says is, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may be seen by others, not by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And you read that and you just think, man, fasting must be horrible. But it's not horrible. They just made it seem horrible. And Jesus is just, you know, telling them they shouldn't be doing it for worldly reasons anyway. Fasting. You, re- you research. I promise you, you won't be disappointed in what you find. How many of you think that it's like Jesus fasted for 40 days? How many of you think that that was exaggerated? Okay, you don't think it's exaggerated. How many of you think that somebody other than Jesus could do that? Now you're like, I don't know. I think he was, I think it had to be the, you know, because he was divine. That's the only way he survived it. But the, what you will learn if you'll do this you will learn that there are all kinds of people out there that have fasted for 40 days. Some of them have done 50. Daniel, in the Old Testament, did for three weeks, so I'm just going to assume that's 21 days, right? Yeah. There are hospitals now in uh, Germany that have learned this from Russia, by the way, of how amazing this is coming to be, that they just have a floor on their hospitals that is just designated for fasting. And they will take people through whatever, depending on what their ailment is, but they will take them through a duration up to maybe 40 days of fasting. What have they found? Documentation after documentation after documentation that people with asthma are completely cured, diabetes cured. I don't know if that's one or two or both. People with cancer, cured. Cancer, by the way, eats on glucose and sugar, right? We know that. But these people with livers that are completely sick and just look terrible, completely cleaned up over a period of time. That's just science. But I'm just saying, the thing that we have always been terrified of as Christians, never speak about, never do, is one of the things that God had from the get-go to bless us with. And I want to get away from the science now and just talk about the spiritual aspect of this. By the way, when you do 
watch that, just know that these scientists are amazed at what the body does and how it's re-healing itself and, and repairing itself and doing, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff. And by the way, why isn't so much in America? If you'll watch, that's one of the things you'll learn too because we love chronic disease. Your doctors, maybe not your doctor, because maybe your doctor is this amazing man, but most doctors love chronic diseases. Pharmaceuticals love chronic diseases. They like diabetics. They like people who have high blood pressure and cancer and stuff because they know they have you sealed for the next 20, 40, 30 years or whatever your life. You're going to pay, 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 pay. They won't want this fixed. But anyway, no more science. Just think about it. If it, if it brings clarity to our thinking, just think about how important that would be if you were seeking God. Just think about, like, why did Jesus do 40 days? Did he just feel like, I've got to go torture myself before they torture me themselves? No. Why would God want him to do that? There's something, he wasn't starving and hungry, like, because that eventually goes away. There was, there was something that was more important to Jesus than his stomach. He taught us this also, right? And in, in the woman at the well, do you remember that story? Where he, they go off and go get lunch in town, you know, and do their shopping. And Jesus says, I'm going to stay, hang out here at the well and just rest. And he had planned to meet up with this woman. He meets up with this Samaritan woman and, and so two things, you know, would have been strikes against him if the guys would have hung back and waited. And that is that he's meeting up with a woman, and the second is that he's meeting up with a Samaritan woman. So he wanted to kind of do this without them around. They go off and get lunch. When they come back, he sees, they see he's with this woman, and they're like, first thing they say is, why are you with this woman, right? Um, and she runs off to town to tell everybody who this Jesus is. And then they say, I think I have it right here. They say in verse 31, it says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Because they know that he hadn't eaten any more than they had eaten. And they went in town to get food because they were all hungry, right? And he said to them these words, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. I don't know. I think if we understood like what I was trying to tell you on the science thing, that your body actually has stored up enough stuff that it can survive because it can eat from itself. I think there's a little bit of what Jesus is saying here is you just don't know biology like I know biology. You don't know science the way I know science. I can do without a meal, fellas. But I also think that it's a spiritual thing in the sense that you don't know that there's something more important to me than food. Now, how important is that right there to say to a nation that went from maybe eating a meal a day to eating three meals a day in 1970 to now in 2022 pretty much grazing all day long? We just keep evolving in this thing. And we, because of that, you train your mind, do you not? You think about what you think about because you train your mind to think about it. That's why the Bible in Romans chapter 12, what does it say? It says, uh, uh, well, what does it say? <laughs> I can't figure out how to get it started. Renew in your mind. Okay. He says, Therefore, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind because we change what we are thinking about and what is occupying us. And when you eat all day long, all the time, it is really hard for us not to be, like, always thinking about food. How many of you always think? You don't have to raise your hand. I always think about food. In fact, I plan everything around food. It just, you know, if, if uh, 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 Devin was here, he would be like, yeah, he does not ever take me anywhere without feeding me. 
you know, he thinks, he thinks I think everything about food. And I do. So just think about that. You have clarity of mind, and all of a sudden now you have no, nothing just occupying your mind besides God and being able to focus on him. You don't have hunger pains. And you're just able to focus on him. I, just, I don't know if I can stress it enough that this very thing that we are terrified of, how important it really is for us to be guided and directed by God. And so that's what they did. By the way, how many of you moms have lost your appetite because one of your children is suffering or sick or hurting or going the wrong direction in life and you just don't feel like eating? And the reason is, is because there's something that's more weighty in me than to worry about that right now. I just can't eat. We lose our appetites. That's why people who mourn, they don't eat. And what, the first thing that you say to somebody that is in mourning that you're close to is, when was the last time you've eaten? Be, because we think that, uh, you know, that, that they had something else that preoccupied them, and they do. So fasting is something that brings out our, we bring out of our spiritual toolbox when we, when we need something that's more important for us right now than, than food. When we, when we want to seek God and we want to seek him so much that we really want him to, to communicate with us, we want him, an encounter with him, then I think one of the first things that you ought to do is to fast and pray and not just pray. Godly mothers are, are great listeners of the Spirit of God. And it's because they are great mothers. They have something that is like more, and the reason that they, they do, they find, lose their appetite sometimes because of their worry or whatever, is because they do have something that they understand is more important than, than you know, taking care of themselves. But they seek guidance all the time. And I just want to say this to all of our non-mothers for a moment, or mother of a mother, I mean a daughter of a mother or son of a mother, and that is that when your mother, a godly mother, is more precious than silver or gold, I know that says that about a godly wife, but I think it, surely it says that or something like that about a mother too, but I know that that's to be true because mothers seek God. And when a mother speaks to you that is a godly mother, always consider what they say. Because it's probably God's way of directing you some. So, I know that I got a little carried away here, but we're going to go right into communion and we're going to wrap things up. Today, when we take communion, I want us to think about these things. But here's what I would like for us to do. You know, when, when we do our fellowship dinners and stuff, we always let certain people go first. We were taught, you know, uh, being polite is let ladies go f- first. Um, and I think it's important that we let certain people go first to the table. Well, this is a table. And so today, what I would like to do is just give an opportunity for our moms to go to the Lord's table first. And here's why. I, I would like for us to just honor them in this way, to let them come and partake of what is so sacred to us first. And that is this juice and this bread that represents Christ. And I'd like for the rest of us, as the moms come up and partake, for the rest of us to be praying for these moms. Also, just to be meditating a little bit about how amazing it is to have godly moms in our church, raising these children and caring for them and directing them and guiding them. And so it, we're, I'm going to pray, and then if we'll do that, and let them go first, and then the rest of us will come and partake after that. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your guidance and your direction. Thank you for speaking into our lives. Thank you, Father, for just people who show us how to listen and how to be guided, just as Paul and Barnabas and Lucia and Simeon and Manon, 
how they spoke into our lives today, but we are also reflecting upon just how mothers speak into our lives so much, godly mothers, so much direct us and teach us about how to hear the voice of God in our lives. So, Father, we know that this table is open to all believers. But today we, we want to um, just recognize that for most of us, we are coming around the table because of a godly mother. And we appreciate him so much. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.